With Tesla Government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. Hi, and welcome to the 1CA podcast. My name is John McElligot, longtime host of the show. Today we bring you part one of a two-part discussion with retired Lieutenant General Eric Wesley. After some brief remarks from retired Colonel Joe Curlin, president of the Civil Affairs Association, retired Major General Daniel Ammerman will introduce the keynote speaker of the 2021 Civil Affairs Roundtable. The presentation from General Wesley is entitled Civil Competition, Civil Affairs in the Era of Great Power Competition. Enjoy the show. I think that the institution of civil affairs has to get into uh, automation. And that by that, I mean artificial intelligence and machine learning. I'm Joe Curlin, uh, Colonel USA Retired, the president of our Civil Affairs Association. It is a distinct honor to serve as your president. I will now turn the program over to Major General Retired Dan Ammerman for the introduction of our speaker. Dan is the former USA KPOC commander, commander of the 304th Brigade previously, and former commander of the 431st. Dan is our Midwest Regional Vice President. Dan, over to you. Thank you, Joe. It's my honor to introduce Lieutenant General Eric Wesley. He retired from the Army in September of 2020. He's currently the Executive Vice President at uh, Flyer Defense, which manufactures uh, off-road tactical vehicles. Uh, Started his service in the military as an armor lieutenant, Graduate of West Point. He served a, a variety of assignments, starting out with uh, First Armor Division. He also spent some years at uh, Special Operations Command. Uh, he was involved in Third Infantry Division's uh, invasion uh, in Iraq in 2003. Uh, he also spent some time at Fort Riley in Afghanistan with the International Security Assistance Force. Also, uh, with the National Security Council as a director for Afghanistan and Pakistan. And he was also uh, served with the Maneuver Center of Excellence and uh, also director of Army Capabilities uh, Integration Center at Army Futures Command. He's been uh, he's probably the uh, one of the key people or the key person in development of the Army's new warfighting concept, multi-domain operations. And this is pretty significant because this is the most fundamental rewrite of this operational concept since Airland Battle, uh, which was published in 1982 when I first came in the military. So that's a long time ago. So uh, General Wesley, uh, really looking forward to your, your comments and welcome to this Civil Affairs Association Roundtable. Hey, Dan, thank you very much, uh, particularly for inviting me to participate. Although I, I, before you go, I, I've got a comment on your backdrop there in this era of Zoom and COVID. We like to look at, you know, the, the offices we're, we're engaged with. And, and um, it, with my level of resolution, I almost think that you got a lot of books up there on, on the ceiling that you've read through. But um, if that's artificial, you probably ought to come clean with it. But um, anyway, thank you for inviting <laughs> me to be part of this. This is, this is really good. Joe Curlin, thanks for uh, hosting this event. Um, I, I think there's great virtue and merit into what you all are providing here. And I'll comment on that in a minute. Arnell, thanks for getting me lined up this morning, um, technically. 
Um, so, so I said that this, this forum is, is an incredible forum. And, and, and I'll tell you one reason why. I, I, as Dan mentioned, I, uh, when I was a captain, um, I chose a functional area called 39, as you all are probably very familiar with, and, and spent uh, about uh, three, four years at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And this is what I'll tell you about uh, my time in that three or four year period um, of a 34 year military career. And that is that the, the instruction that I got under UCK Bach and USASOC um, as part of a, a functional area 39 guy was the most formative academic experience that I had in 34 years in the military. It's the, it is the, it's the experience that I've tapped into more times than any single academic experience I've had anywhere else. Um, maybe not uh, in, in obvious to me at the time in the 1990s, it was around 1994, 95, but around 2003, when we had some big problems, it became very relevant to an armor officer, an operational guy who had primarily an operational career in a maneuver branch, how critical civil affairs, information environment, PSYOP, and this idea of cross-cultural communication, leveraging it on behalf of the formation became to me. So, so I wanna commend you all for your interest in this profession that you've selected because for this uh, maneuver officer, it was critically formative. Um, let me give you a, a few caveats up front. Uh, the first is I am, I am not a civil affairs expert. And I did spend some time at Fort Bragg. I did some, spend some time in PSYOP and civil affairs but I do not consider myself a civil affairs expert and I'm not gonna to speak to you from that lens. So I hope that's okay. That, that it, if you wanna know the lens that I'm coming to you from, it's twofold. The first is as an operator, as a maneuver guy where I've spent the overwhelming majority of my time. And, and in that framework, I'm, I'm a customer of the civil affairs community. The second lens I'm, I'm looking at this uh, session today is from that of, uh, if I can humbly say, an amateur futurist. Uh, and, and in that sense, I'm an integrator of, of civil affairs. Futurist meaning I, the last five years of my career, I spent looking at the future maneuver force at Fort Benning. And then later at uh, Futures and Concepts Center of Army Futures Command, the future of the army relative to the future operating environment. So um, I, I'm going to try to describe that future operating environment and, 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 and maybe, maybe if I'm fortunate, give you some thoughts on how civil affairs fits into that. But I am not a civil affairs expert. Um, administratively, I will tell you, I have no slides. I'm going to try to rely on the compelling nature of words. <laughs> And, um, and we'll see how I do with that. I'm only gonna talk for about 30 to 40 minutes and I hope that I can um, stir up some thoughts and questions for discussion and, and make them hard if you would. And I will tell you right now, I don't know if I'll have all the answers and please remember that I'm about nine months removed from active service um, while trying to remain relevant. So the, 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 the title that I worked with, Dan Ammerman, not too clever, but I, I'm just calling it civil competition. Set aside civil affairs, it's civil competition, civil affairs in an era of great power competition. So that's the, the, the title of the discussion. 
but I think it's important to back up for a moment and, uh, and, and review as a group all this talk about Russia, all this talk about China. Um, you've heard multi-domain operations, joint all-domain command and control, great power competition. And you have to ask ourselves, what does all this mean? What is it? What is MDO? What is the relevance of China and Russia? And, and, and let's frame that out, because if we don't understand that, then we won't understand the role of civil affairs. I will confess to you that um, in 2015, I was on General Milley's transition team to become chief of staff of the army. And, um, and there was a lot of talk about a resurgent Russia. And as a very new brigadier general, um, I asked myself, is this merely a cynical effort to leverage palm dollars? And uh, I'm confessing that to you because I was way behind in where the world was going in that 2015 time period. And anyone that believes that the concerns about Russia and China and this new era of great power competition is something that is a cynical effort to leverage palm dollars is sorely mistaken. And, and that's what I wanna to try to describe today. But if, if that's true, if, if what I'm asserting is right, that, 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 any, that it's not cynical, that it's real, and that this new multi-domain operations warfighting concept is fundamental, then we have to ask ourselves, well, then what changed? What changed in the world to drive a new operating concept more fundamentally different than anything since Airland Battle of the 1980s? What changed? And, and I will summarize what I think has changed in three parts. Um, the first is a revanchist Russia. Um, revanche is a fancy word of Russia wanting to go back to the empire that they had before. And they were unable to do it in the 90s and maybe the first part of the first decade. But it's clear in the last 10 to 15 years that you have a Russia that wants to return to the dominance that they had. And that's critical to watching their behavior and in, in a very sober way, just watching the news of today on what's going on on the border of Ukraine and Russia saying that war with the US is inevitable um, is a sobering thought, but you've got a revanchist Russia. The second thing that's changed is this idea of a revisionist China, <clears throat> a China that wants to reframe the world order on behalf of a leading nation called China and their target being 2049, and by all accounts, they're well ahead of schedule. Just one statistic I'll give you, you know, since Deng Xiaoping instituted changes in the approach to their socialist economy, depending on how you measure, there have been three years since about 1980, where the GDP of China has not been above 5%. For, since 1980, three years, not above 5%. We had, I think in 2020, 2.3% um, GDP, and we were happy with that. So a revisionist China that sees reframing the world in accordance with its own lens. Um, and the third thing that I think that has changed is that China and Russia watched the United States, our partners and our allies in 1991 in the first Gulf War, and then in 2003 in OIF-1. 
and they were stunned. They were stunned by the capacity of the United States partners and allies in our capacity to leverage warfare in accordance with the way we did. And they took action to reconcile or rectify that problem that stunned them. And that stunning um, response is both classified and open source, and it was uh, a real revelation to them. So a revanchist Russia, a revisionist China, and watching us in 91 and then in 2003. That's what changed. The question then becomes, um, what did they do? What did they do that's changed the operational environment in a way that's caused us some significant problems? And uh, I will break it down into another three areas. What did they do? Um, the first thing they've done is they have sought to leverage asymmetric investments to challenge us in all domains, to challenge our domain dominance that they have watched in 1991 and then in 2003. Some of those initial investments are in, in countering cyber, electromagnetic spectrum, communications countering. We have been dependent on exquisite communications for decades and they've countered that, but they've, they've, they've also invested in other areas, but they have challenged us in all domains. So the domains that we've controlled for the last 30 years and we've relied on are no longer something that we can be dependent on as we have in the past. The second area they invested in is to develop multiple layers of standoff. You know, the, the American way of war is that, and, 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 and whether you believe this or not, and you could debate it, but the American way of war is it starts with a very high threshold for the declaration of war or uh, leveraging hostilities. But when we do, we then take time to mobilize the American people. We take time to, to leverage a coherent policy. We take time to mobilize forces, go into a theater, theater of war. And when we are prepared, then we, we launch a, 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 an effort to change the status quo as, as it was as it exists. Well, well that, that requires us to move through a lot of layers to get set to do that. Well, what, what China and Russia have realized is if you allow the United States or partners and allies to do that, to take six months to mobilize, to take six months to get into a theater, to take six months to, to communicate a policy, um, they need to eliminate that freedom of movement in that six month period. And that starts in social media. And we've seen that in the 2016 election. We've seen that in Brexit. We've seen that in other places. It includes cyber efforts, but it also goes into long range precision mass fires. And when you combine their investment in long range precision mass fires and the layers of their A2AD capability, and you combine that with our withdrawal from the continent, our withdrawal from the peninsula and consolidating in the continental US as it were, if you consider the fact that our partners and allies have, have shrunk their investments in, in conventional arms, that those multiple layers of standoff become much bigger of a problem that have to be penetrated in order to get to a place where we can influence the outcome of the security environment. So multiple layers of standoff is what they've invested in very wisely, and we see it in both China and, and Russia.
Do you have an idea for an upcoming podcast or know someone who may be a good person to interview? Contact us at capodcasting at gmail.com. Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. Welcome back to the 1CA podcast and a recording of our discussion with the keynote speaker of the 2021 CA Roundtable, retired Lieutenant General Eric Wesley. The third area and probably most relevant to this group is this idea of leveraging the competition space. Some people call it gray zone. The, the you know, Russians refer to active measures, but it's leveraging the competition space in order to shape the, the, the operational environment on behalf of their interests. China has been doing this for centuries in terms of when you think about winning without fighting, right? Um, Russia has not been bad at it for, for, for a, quite a long time also, but has become most famous most recently under uh, General Garismov's doctrine and his approach to leveraging the competition space. I would argue that we are really bad in this space. Um, and, and the reason we are not good at, at, at competition, to be candid, is American culture and largely Western democratic culture believe in our heart and soul, whether, whether we behave this way, we can debate, but believe in our heart and soul that we are largely a peaceful people, that warfare is the anomaly, that, that peace is the norm, and, and, and only in extreme circumstances do you have any kind of conflict. That is a naive view, and, and largely those tools that we leverage in the competition space are held at very high levels at, at, at policy making within the White House, very industrial in nature. And therefore we're not good in this competition space. And I think our peers know this. So these, these three actions, that is challenging us on all domains, developing multiple layers of standoff, and leveraging the competition space have put us in a really bad position posture-wise to shape, inform, or, or leverage the security environment on behalf of those things that we hold dear as Western democratic nations. We are really poorly postured to operate in the environment with those three, those three activities. Now, when we Dan mentioned, you know, we came in the army, we had an operating concept called airland battle. It was largely written, supervised by General Don Starry. And one of the things General Starry said with airland battle, as we were at the time toe to toe with the Soviet Union with a pure single peer threat, 
He says, when you have a peer threat that has nuclear parity, you must invest in superior conventional forces. And the reason, the reason that's important is because with, when you have nuclear parity with a peer threat and you have strategic deterrence, the threshold for leveraging strategic capabilities is so high that all of the activity resides at levels below the strategic threat or the strategic deterrent level. So therefore your conventional operations become fundamental to affecting the operational environment and the national security environment. So therefore your real investments have to be in the conventional forces. And, I, and, and part, one of the narratives that I would give you today and one of the narratives associated with MDO is candidly, we have lost, lost our operational level or our conventional level deterrence capabilities for the reasons I've already just stated. And that's a really scary thought. If we've lost our conventional or, or our operational level deterrence, that means our peers have all of the maneuver space to shape the security environment. Let me, um, let me illustrate it for you this way. And, and, I, and I've shared this when I was on active duty with, at very senior levels, that in the, under the current environment, until we can accommodate the multi-domain operations concept, we in the West really have two options. We have two options when the security art environment is changing. Think right now what's going on this morning in Europe. We have two options available to us. We can, and, and, and I'm gonna ex exaggerate it a bit for the, for the purpose of discussion, but we can do nothing and, and accept the new security environment, how it's been adjusted. Think Crimea 2014. Or we can invest in a, a massive effort for a protracted conflict to change what has happened in the operational or national security environment. We can do nothing, or we can invest in a major mobilization in the American way of war, as I described it earlier, to change the outcomes. What MDO argues is we've got to have, we've got to have a better continuum than that. We, we can still do nothing, but between investing in a major protracted conflict and doing nothing, there are two other options. One is, is to expand the competition space in a very aggressive manner to shape behaviors across the dime appropriately in order to change the calculus of our peer threat. So we can expand the competition space to change the calculus of our peer threat. The second thing we can do short of a major protracted conflict is have the capacity or willingness or actually action to defeat a fait accompli attack. And then of course, we always have the option to go after or pursue a, a protracted land warfare conflict. But the key to MDO is those two things I just added, and that is expanding the competition space in order to change our peers calculus or be able to very rapidly defeat a fait accompli attack. So it's those two things I think that, that really make this concept distinct relative to what we've been, the way we've been behaving in the past. Now, I think some of you have seen the, um, the paper that um, Chief Staff of the Army recently signed, Army Multi-Domain Transformation, Ready to Win Competition and Conflict. 
chief of staff paper number one. The first thing I say is I, I think this paper um, effectively reinforces MDO. I'm, I'm not sure how effective it's been at, at pushing MDO to the next level. But what I wanna focus on here for a minute, <laughs> frankly, is the very first paragraph of General McConville's note as he talks about this paper number one. The very first paragraph of the Chief Staff of the Army's comments, and, and, and forgive me, I'm gonna read it to you, but he says, America's army serves to protect the nation and preserve peace. No drama there. But the very next sentence, he caveats right at the very beginning, historically, key signal there, this has always meant preparing for and when necessary fighting and winning the nation's wars. Then he goes on to say, the army must always be ready to fight and win. And I'll put in the word, but, but in this era of great power competition, the army must also compete aggressively to protect our national interests. Now, I'm not going to drag you through paper number one and all, all of it. I'll talk a little bit about it a little bit later. But in the very first paragraph, what the chief has said is there's a change here. There's a fundamental change in the role of the army that has moved left of conflict. If you go back and read Airland Battle, Airland Battle largely starts at the line of departure at LD. What are we going to do in operations once conflict starts? MDO revolutionary in a revolutionary way, and the chief is reinforced right here, is different because it says we have a role left of conflict that's fundamental in order to expand the competition space and, and in order to be prepared to defeat a fait accompli attack. Those two things that I mentioned that are distinct about MDO. So this is, this is really critical that the chief would emphasize this in the very first paragraph of his opening letter on this paper in number one. Now, if you, I, if you all were to be honest, I'll bet you um, at least half of you right now are saying, okay, I got it, Wesley. I keep hearing the chief mention the era of great power competition. The title of this, of this presentation refers to great power competition what in the heck is competition? What do you mean by competition? And, and we have to understand this in order to talk about what civil affairs role is in this operating concept. Um, I, I will confess to you that one of my failures prior to coming off of active duty was we, we didn't adequately do that. If you go back and look at MDO, even if you look at, at this paper number one, we are not adequately defining competition and our role in it. One of my goals was to, to put together a, a, a playbook on what competition and, and frankly, the role of the army alongside the interagency is in a competition environment. So, so what is competition? And, and I, I think um, if, if I were to give you a bumper sticker um, definition, it would be that competition is, is the aggressive, daily, decentralized operations at the strategic, operational, and tactical level to sustain or improve our security posture across the dime, leveraging all domains. Let me say that again. The aggressive, daily, decentralized operations at the strategic, operational, and tactical level to improve our security posture across the dime, leveraging all domains. 
If that's too long, I'll, I'll say it like this. You can put it on your bumper sticker. Smash, smash mouth posturing. And, 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 and what I'm describing, smash mouth posturing, is something that Western democratic nations find unattractive. But absent our willingness to do that, absent our willingness to do that, I think you will see the influence of Western democratic nations in their desires to shape the security environment on behalf of our mores and ethics and, and those things that we hold dear will continue to wane and slide away over the course of the next three or four decades. Smash mouth posturing. Um, so what does it look like? Um, let, me, let me start by describing what I think it looks like in the operational environment. If I was talking to the commander of a multi-domain task force, if I were talking to uh, a core commander and trying to describe this, first of all, in, in, with respect to an operational lens, I can imagine the daily, every single day, seeing a commander stimulating targets of our peer threat, seeing those targets, and then refining our target list every single day. So you imagine an operational headquarters that seeks to stimulate long range precision fires nodes or C2 nodes every day to know where they are, seeing them and then refining our target list so that in the event of conflicts, we can very rapidly strike the right targets in order to defeat a fait accompli attack. Doing that in the tactical environment has an operational deterrence value that it describes expanding that competition so they see a valid competitor. But the question you might be, that, that's an operational description, but you might be asking, okay, I got it, but, but what is the role of civil affairs in, in, in this space? And let me give you what I think are, are four areas that I, I would commend, given what, what, what I've just described that I think that we should consider. The first one is I think there are two fundamental populations that we have to be targeting on a daily basis. Um, the first one civil affairs commonly describes as, as the vulnerable population. And I think that's intuitive to this group. And I think that has to be leveraged on our behalf in order to identify for commanders what is critical to maneuvering and leveraging that population group, the vulnerable population. The other one is the opportunity population group. And that's the population group that is easily maneuvered or easily, dare I say, manipulated on behalf of those things that we hold dear, but they are the, the opportunity population group. So I'd ask you to consider that and, and we can talk more about that in a minute. The second thing I wanted to mention is, and, and I don't know, Dan, the degree to which um, the civil affairs community is in this space, but I think that the institution of civil affairs has to get into uh, automation. And that by that, I mean artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, and I, you know, in my time at, at FCC and Army Futures Command, there, there's one, there are a number of programs that DARPA is leveraging, Mosaic is one, but the one that's most relevant to civil affairs, I think, 
is a DARPA project called um, CauseX. And, and it, it, the, the long name of it is causal Explore, explorations of a complex operational environment, but CauseX. And, we'll, and, and if you haven't heard of it, what CauseX does is it's a very sophisticated and laborious effort to analyze different groups and populations and leaders and key uh, individuals and their, their, their relative impact on one another for the purposes of planning. And then that, that then can very rapidly be imported into a machine learning environment with appropriate applications to very rapidly and quickly identify population groups for commanders to target in order to enable operations as we see fit. So, so I, I think we've got to get into the automated space and particularly machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, the third one is probably the most difficult for this community to change, but it is the ability to change process. And by, mean, by, by process, I mean, it's got to get faster. Um, and this, like, this is really hard. This is hard for, the, for Western democratic nations, and it's gonna be hard for your bureaucracy, the size of the army or any of our armies uh, amongst our coalition partners. But, you know, <laughs> Forgive me, and please don't take offense at this, but I, you know, as a civil affairs with a guy with a civil affairs background, as a battalion commander, as a brigade XO, I remember trying to leverage resources from civil affairs and watching the labyrinth of bureaucracy we had to go through in order to get cash into the hands of those in the community, in my case, Iraq. I remember um, in 2003, the summer of 2003, when, when the initial penetration into Baghdad um, and its success started to wane because of unrest within Iraq. And, and I remember talking to then General David Perkins, later to become the, the TRADOC commander. He was my boss and he was the brigade commander who led our brigade into Baghdad. And he, he mentioned the idea of the million dollar briefcase. And, um, and I've, I've talked about this a number of times. And, and frankly, this isn't on, on you, but it's on you to advocate for. Um, we in Western democratic nations and particularly the US, we worship at the altar of counter corruption. Um, you know, in, in Iraq, one man's broker is another man's corrupt shake. Um, the same probably could be true for, for in Afghanistan. So therefore, because of our cultural norms and the fact that we are uncomfortable with brokers, we put these laborious standards and criteria in order to dispense money. And in so doing, we come become very slow. And I'd love for somebody someday, if they haven't already, to calculate the amount of money that we poured into Iraq and Afghanistan because we were not agile enough within the civil engagement community and therefore caused disruption, frustration, and unrest. And my guess is that the amount of money we spent in those two nations 
relative to the amount we could have wasted with a million dollar briefcase that could be given to each brigade commander to be very rapid and agile with our ability to, to infuse cash at the right place in order to shape behavior and, and, and outcome in a given operational environment. My guess is that the distinction between those two amounts of money that would have been wasted with a million dollar briefcase relative to our very high standards of dispensing resources to a civil community um, I'm, I'm, I'm certain there's a compelling argument that although worshiping at the altar of counter-corruption is, 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 is lovely, um, it's not always effective. And I know what I just said is, is provocative, but I think it's real. Um, let me take it to the strategic level. There's a um, great article I, I encourage you to read by Laurie McFarlane. It's called The Specter of Authoritarian Capitalism. And what we're up against in this next century against China and Russia is authoritarian capitalism. And although Western democratic societies were very effective in the industrial era, when, when there was certain norms amidst the international environment and capitalism and democratic societies could optimize our economies for effectiveness. In this century, I think we have to be very careful to be overconfident in our democracy's ability to compete against authoritarian capitalism. President Xi, President Putin can very effectively, with great agility, move resources into a space that is strategic in nature. And I'm not sure that we are ready to compete with that. So, so what do I mean by number three in this idea of process change? We have got to advocate across the interagency with the ability to be agile in a decentralized way to leverage your efforts in a tactical manner in order to compete on a daily basis using the definition I described earlier. And then the fourth area, and then I'll, I'll stop yapping here in a minute and I'd like to have a discussion. But um, the fourth area I, I think is important to note is we cannot compete and we cannot defeat a fait accompli attack without being there, period. Um, we misled ourselves as an army in uh, the first part of the last decade to believe that we could mobilize very quickly the army against peer threats. And the fact is it's a physics problem, man. It's math. You can't do it. And, and so, you know, I remember uh, Dan Allen, the former vice, used to always say, you can't mobilize ethics. You, you can't, you, same, likewise, you can't rapidly mobilize deterrence. And so you have to be there. And so the degree to which we can be there is fundamental in order to carry out this thing called competition that I defined earlier, the smash mouth posturing with our peers and allies in a way that, um, that deters before we escalate to conflict. So, um, so I titled this civil competition in an era of great power competition. I wanted to describe for you what we're up against and, and the way the world has changed. I've done it very rapidly. What's more important to me, I think, is the questions that could come at me, which would give us an opportunity to have a candid discussion. And with that, Dan, um, I yield the floor back to you, and I, and I hope you guys can hit me hard. 
please subscribe to the show and come back for part two of our discussion with retired Lieutenant General Eric Wesley. Part two will focus on questions from attendees of the 2021 CA Roundtable. The Civil Affairs Association is calling for papers. As a green force that operates in gray zones, how should civil affairs understand competition? How would a global civil military network be a geostrategic game changer in the struggle with authoritarian powers for global dominance? To address these questions, the Civil Affairs Association and its partners invite civil military professionals to send original papers by the deadline of September 3. The top five papers will appear in the 2021-22 Civil Affairs Issue Papers, and authors will present them virtually at the CA Symposium this fall. The top three papers, as determined by symposium participants, will receive cash prizes. For more information, visit the CA Association website at civilaffairsassoc.org. In civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com.